Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Eskville Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Shrog, my pronouns are he, him, and you can find me on the internet at Secret Frog or The Secret Frog. And while I've taken over this podcast for a very special bonus episode, I am joined, as always, by your illustrious hosts, Danielle. Hi, I'm Danielle. I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at RedtailTalk90. And Jade. I'm Jade. You can find me on the internet at jadoxfordrose, and I'll use they, them pronouns. These two are going through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. However, today we are not talking about any of the books. Uh, I am here <laughs> to rant about the Animorphs video game for the Game Boy Color. Um, because why the hell not? Um... <laughs> Yes, uh, content warnings for the game itself include violence against animals. Um, I'm going to be talking about a lot of ephemera surrounding the game. Content warnings for that include uh, systemic abuse, including sexual harassment, uh, homophobic language, and ironic use of cult and or fascist symbolism. Uh, This will make sense eventually, I promise. (laughs) Um, So I want to start out by talking about why... This caught my eye, because I didn't play this game back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was catching up on Esquivel Files and Dumb Kids and all that, at one point I was looking at the Animorphs Wikipedia page, because I, th- I think I was just thinking about, well, what else could you guys talk about once you're done with the main series of books? Because mm-hmm. obviously you skip the Alternomorphs, there's the season of the TV show, and there's basically... Nothing else mm-hmm. Animorphs out there. Um, which is bizarre. There's just the books. Um, they're, they're those Transformers toys that came up in the Discord server a while back. Um, and then there are three video games. There's this one on the Game Boy Color. There's a game on the PS1 called Shattered Reality. And one on Windows called Know the Secret. Um, I think they were all released in 2000 as well. So, all the same year. Um, and yeah, other than that, there's, like, nothing else for Revival. There are, like, maybe some audiobooks, I think. Mm-hmm. And there are those graphic novel adaptations, but those are coming out about one a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just a little strange, because Animor seems like it had a big cultural, like, awareness, even if it didn't have a huge fandom. But I'm curious if this is just, like, Scholastic not taking advantage of their rights, um, or just, like, the fact that anyone who's a fan of the series would know it doesn't lend itself well to, like, the mass market appeal part. I, I don't know, I'm just curious if you guys have any thoughts on why there would be not a lot of other Animorphs media out there. Uh, I, I, it wasn't as popular as Goosebumps. <laughs> uh, is my yeah, main, fair. <laughs> is my main thought about it is, uh, that Goosebumps took the spotlight and, uh, was also, uh, probably more enjoyed by boys. Um, and so Scholastic, Although I don't remember seeing a whole lot of, like, Goosebumps had the TV series for a little while, um, 
it didn't have a whole lot of uh, 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 things outside of the book either. Um, hmm. Yeah, uh, looking it up, the Goosebumps TV series aired um, from 95 to 98. Uh-huh. Um, and is the kind of context that lends itself to a TV show, because obviously very small episodic mm-hmm. uh, elements. Um, and also I can think of like shows like uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark and yes. things like that. Like Kids Horror mm-hmm. was quite um, a money spinner. But when I think about Scholastic generally... They didn't do a lot of off-book yeah. merchandise. Yeah, that just what because they had so many book series going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the Scholastic Book Fair—you were there for books, you were there for pencils and erasers. Like, mm-hmm. I can see that. I don't think it's unique to Animorphs. Yeah, because uh, there wasn't like Babysitters Club merchandise and stuff either. Like. I don't remember there being anything like that. It's only now that people of sort of our generation are in creative roles that I mean the the Goosebumps, the first Goosebumps movie wasn't until 2015. Mm-hmm. It took till the last few years for there to be um, the Babysitters Club TV show. Though I have seen the Babysitters Club movie, I actually the OG one. I quite liked it. <laughs> I think I remember being very angry about some of the. Uh, choices but again that wasn't made till 2007 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right no that's a different movie nope no i have to look this up now we're doing ephemera <laughs> uh okay no the babysitter's club movie was 1995 and holy fuck do i feel old <laughs> fuck everything um but i didn't like it but that had like the, that had a young fucking rachel lee cook in mm-hmm. it pre she's all that playing Marianne. Mm-hmm. Um and I the actress whose name uh, Larissa Olenek who went on to be Alex Mack. Oh nice. So you know, all right. Um oh, that was happening at the same time. Oh, and of course 10 things I heard about you later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We stand 10 things I heard about you. But it strikes me that it's taken till later for all these book series the it is the nostalgia factor. Mm-hmm. Like we're seeing a new uh, haunted mansion movie. It's all part and parcel of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so much of like TV shows and movies and remakes is trading on the nostalgia of people who had these things as children, now being adults with mm-hmm. their own children a lot of the time and disposable income. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I can't judge uh... because I. But um. I'll let you get back to the the game. It's like, I'm going to have very little to say about the game generally, (laughs) but it's like, I watched um, an essay recently, uh, apologies for invoking Joanne, but Harry Potter, the phenomenon really did change the landscape in how books could be merchandised. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Helps having a, quote, savvy author with little to no morals about mm-hmm. so, and who managed to get a slice of the merchandise rights. Uh, couldn't have gone about it the wholesome way. George Lucas turned down a directing page. Just like, I want all rights from the merch. Lucas, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, you really got to respect the hustle. 
But so I find it very interesting to know that Animorphs had enough sway to get three different video game adaptions. Yeah. I think the thing with Animorphs is that they tried a lot of different things and it was just all bad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can some I can see it being like not knowing what worked about the franchise yeah. as a piece of media. And so when you try to adapt it, it's going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of like other precedents, but we see like all these video game adaptions and stuff. And then some properties that have really odd tie in video games. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I can understand more. Like now, it's mostly we're sort of in the heyday, I think, of tabletop, where like mm-hmm. you might take a piece of media you really like and build a tabletop system around it. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the author of Idiot Teenagers with a Death <laughs> Wish. I've got their name around it somewhere. I'll find it in a <laughs> They seem anyway. really cool. <laughs> they do. Love don't to meet they? them one day. Yeah. <laughs> Pipe dreams. Um, but like, even if you look at, say, Game of Thrones. For a recent example of a TV show based on a big book series, mm-hmm. though not necessarily a lot of books, um, there's an example of like taking a piece of media and trying to make it work in another media, or the various adaptions of Discworld mm-hmm. uh, and how live action Discworld doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Like they try, but it's a hard thing to like capture whereas like the point and click games did pretty well for themselves and there's a a good like Ankh-Morp pork board game out there mm-hmm. but i think a lack of understanding why a piece of media resonates and just like oh this thing is popular with kids yeah we need to trade mm-hmm. on that yeah I- kids like video games right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and you see that in the way that these book that the video games are designed i I played Shattered Reality and um, this Game Boy Color game, um, and you see it in like the the fucking Transformer toys that don't make any sense. <laughs> um, where where it's literally just uh, corporations uh, taking the the trappings of a series uh, and and attempting to adapt it. Um, we might take talk about the TV show on its own merits uh, in, in in separate episodes, but in general, the part of the reason why the TV show was so bad is because they they attempted to do <laughs> they made the two cardinal sins of TV, which is working with animals and children. And children. <laughs> um, you know. I just, I'm gonna hold out hope. I've said it before. Okay, I the fucking animated, anime, the theoretical animated Animorph series mm. could be incredible. Right? I think yeah. it's the only way morphing is ever gonna look yes. good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I think there's such interesting work happening in the animation industry, and we appreciate Guillermo del Toro getting mm-hmm. the spotlight enough to say, "Hey, animation is a genre." Mm-hmm. Isn't it? It's isn't a genre. It's a way of telling stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's a method. Mm-hmm. Um, though, let me tell you, I'm now just picturing fucking stop motion like claymation animals and how <laughs> fucking buck wild you could get with morphing. That 
would take so fucking long. Oh my god. But it would be incredible. <laughs> See, I'm sorry, but my brain went to Animorphs, but who's who's the non-Muppet? Is it, is it Axe? No, it's Marco. Fuck. Mm. <laughs> Alternatively, it's Tobias, and you've just got a real ass hawk. <laughs> Oh, we've said it before. I think I'm going to say it again now, just so our listeners remember. We need to play Animorphs uh, Kubrick. Oh, yes. Uh, uh-huh. Rufus Roswell's Kubrick. Um, and do Animorphs with mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Pin in that. Yes. Um, but back to the game. Back to the game. Yeah. Well, you say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be a while before I get to talk about the actual game. But... Um, in terms of that, I just want to get a barometer. So, Danielle, I know you said at one point that you rented this game and mm-hmm. have played it. From Blockbuster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as is <laughs> correct. Um, yes. How, how solid are your memories of this? Uh, better since I saw the GDQ speedrun of it. Uh, um, okay. But, you know, mostly my memories of it are it being way harder than it had to be, mostly mm-hmm. because a lot of the things that you had to do don't make any sense, mm-hmm. um, which is a flaw that uh, actually the Alternomorphs also suffer from, uh, <laughs> um, which are, which, you know, aren't terribly terrible as choose your own adventure books go. But the problem with them is that when you make choices for morphs, uh, n- none of them make sense. Okay. None of, none of them make any sense. <laughs> uh, and will lead to death in just like the weirdest ways. So, uh, Incredible. but that was my memory of this, of this game is just like things are really difficult and I can't figure out how to progress. Mm-hmm. Um, because it didn't necessarily make sense, at least to me as a child. I imagine if I picked it up as an adult, I would get through it not too terribly but hmm. uh, jay obviously you would have had no reason to play this game in particular um, <laughs> mm-hmm. do you have any experience with like the game boy i never had one um oh, okay. i remember like again <laughs> age but also i grew up with like very little in the way of money i never had a games sure. console mm-hmm. um i think i remember having friends and like having a poke at it but like i never i don't think ever saw anyone with a game boy color in in my sphere like i remember people having game boys like the og Mm -hmm. um and then when people i remember like having friends when people started getting ps1s and stuff Mm -hmm. but um i have never been it's very amusing to me that i have uh you shrug um my friend hamish he of Dead End Paranormal Park, uh, pre-order your copy of the graphic novels now, um, who are big, like, Nintendo, specifically mm-hmm. Nintendo fans, when I had so, like, my next-door neighbour, and now that's not Nintendo, but I remember my next-door neighbour having, um, like, a Mega Drive, a Sega Mega Drive, mm-hmm. and playing Sonic. Mm-hmm. Like, that is one of my big, like, young gaming memories and i played the shit out of fucking uh croc on the pc <laughs> mm-hmm. excellent went through a number of keyboards because i would just beat the shit out of the space bar because that was jump <laughs> um jade you can't it won't jump higher if you hit the space bar harder watch me 
you know. <laughs> that's how games work. That is how games that's work. That's how games work. I mean, shout out. I mean, that's why the Wii was developed the way it was. Shout mm-hmm. out to my other, like, people that move the controller, mm-hmm. even though it has no bearing. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is a neurodivergent thing, but nevertheless. Um, but yeah, so it just, it wasn't something I was really aware of, whether through, like, mostly for social reasons. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So as I have in my notes, uh, then you, Jade, are going to be my barometer for whether talking about a largely visual experience in this auditory format is going to be at all interesting or comprehensible. <laughs> so It's fine. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Thanks. I'm glad Danielle is here. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So my next big section is background of who made this game because this was the bulk of what i have been actually like researching (laughs) since Mm -hmm. i got this Mm -hmm. game um so yeah first thing to get out of the way here the publisher of this game is ubisoft which is kind of buck wild Mm -hmm. (laughs) in some respect because this was before they did like assassin's creed far cry all those games Mm -hmm. um their big thing at this time was rayman which is in fact uh, advertised on the back of the manual. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the the fact that Ubisoft made this game does kind of suck, because if you follow James Stephanie Sterling, uh, or have been following games news since 2020-ish, uh, you know that Ubisoft has a huge abusive workplace culture. Um, they had some big sacrificial resignations uh, back in 2020 uh, due to some investigations that went on. Um, but it seems like the culture at large is not super fixed, so I don't know. There's only so much I can speak to that. But the reason I bring this up for a game made in 2000 is because the guy in charge is still the guy in charge, Yves Jouimeau, um, because he was the co-founder of Ubisoft. So, you know, his name's still on the game's credits, mm. pretty near the top. Mm-hmm. So it's hard not to at least mention uh, mm-hmm. that this abuse was happening at the company. Um, yeah, there's big, like, frat boy culture sort of thing. Harassment, uh, shutting down women's voices in general. Yeah, it's not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ubisoft sucks. Um, and yeah, a more specific reason to bring this up is because there is a guy in the special thanks of this game uh, who would later become the president of Ubisoft Canada and resign that position as part of the scandal of 2020. So, yeah, huh. direct links. Which kind of yeah. sucks. <clears throat> no, I do appreciate, like, in my opinion, any discussion about video games, if it is from one of the big companies that have got these allegations, you shouldn't talk about the games without mentioning it because it mm-hmm. is still an ongoing issue and it is a culture that demands mm-hmm. more addressing than it gets. Mm -hmm. so i appreciate Um, you bringing it up well yeah unfortunately they did publish it uh fortunately (laughs) they're not who i actually want to talk about i want to talk about the developer um so there's a big tangent i want to get on here um (laughs) it's about this thing called the church of the (laughs) subgenius okay i was gonna say we have no, because we've never gone on a tangent on this podcast before, but uh, I'm sorry, the Church of the What? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so let's go back to Dallas, Texas in the 1970s. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so these two guys, uh, young adult, teens, uh, not sure how old they were, but Douglas St. Clair Smith and Steve Wilcox, um, who had become friends around that time and were often very amused by the, the like religious screed pamphlets they saw posted around. Uh, in Dallas Fort Worth, uh, you'd get um, like the chick tracts. You'd get uh, a lot of this evangelical, like "oh, the world is going to end and you must repent," mm-hmm. uh, that sort of stuff. And they they found that stuff like really funny in a lot of ways, and they decided to circulate a parody of those pamphlets. Um, and taking on the aliases of the Reverend Ivan Stang and Philo Drummond, respectively, um, they created this joke pamphlet. Um, oh, let me pull up the cover because I want to want to read a couple sentences from this. Uh, the world ends tomorrow, and you may die. Well, <laughs> no, probably not. But whatever you do, just keep reading. <laughs> Are we controlled by secret forces? Are alien space monsters bringing a startling new world? Do people think you're strange? Do you? Then you might be on the right track. <laughs> yeah, uh, so they created this Church of the Subgenius, uh, which is basically just a mishmash of every New Age fringe belief that they saw just smashed together into this over-the-top um, parody. Mm-hmm. Um, so they created a prophet who is this clip art picture from the Yellow Pages of a 1950s salesman who they named J.R. Bob Dobbs. Uh, and yeah, they have this concept of slack, uh, which is a huge, uh, like, concept of, like, uh, you know, taking back your time and quitting your job and stuff like that. It's just... It was just a fun thing that they decided to do, um, but people apparently found the pamphlets funny and sent back, like, money as, like, requested, um, and so they're like, okay, we'll, we'll make more of these, we'll, we'll keep doing it, um, and it just kind of snowballed into this, like, niche movement of the weirdos of Gen X, <laughs> um, they ended up having conventions and stuff, uh, they had... <laughs> prophesied a doomsday um in 1998 i think and then it happened (laughs) uh and they were like well i guess we got to do something for this (laughs) um and yeah it's become this annual thing for them uh of just like well we're gonna celebrate this day just in case yeah on july 5th it's x day um (laughs) But yeah, uh, there were a lot of people who have been associated with this. Uh, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo, um, David Byrne from The Talking Heads, apparently, Paul Rubens, also known as Pee Wee Herman, um, Penn Gillette and Nick Offerman, you know, just (laughs) a bunch of random people are associated with this, like, weird parody religion thing. Um, And it was just really weird looking into this um (laughs) let me tell you it felt like a minefield like i was just waiting for like all right this is gonna turn out to be like 
this is going to have actually devolved into like some fascist mm. like parody like mm-hmm. cult shit. I was so worried because I was like, this doesn't seem right. And if your tagline is "fuck them if they can't take a joke," that sets off all kinds of red flags. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't think it's gotten to that point, and I do feel okay talking in positive terms about Ivan Stang who has been the guy actually keeping this going as a weird, like, little niche thing. Because in recent years, he's actually gone on the record. Um, he did an interview um, and was involved in making, like, a little documentary um, about the church. And he's very open about, like, hey, I know I'm getting older, and I just want it on the record before I go. This was a joke and was always a joke. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, he's just like, look, I know what happens if you don't say that before you go, <laughs> and people take it over, <laughs> so let me put it on the record. <laughs> and yeah, just overall, he seems like, you know, he's got the look and mannerisms of, like, aging hippie, you know, mm-hmm. gen-, gen X liberal, you know. Um, so, I, d- I don't know if I've done that story particular justice but just the the sheer madness i went down (laughs) looking into this um because it's just tangentially related to these people um it was very odd yeah uh i might share this in the discord once this gets posted uh because i did share the link with you two um yeah, so Ivan Stan got contacted by MTV at one point, just like, hey, you make cool, weird stuff. Make us an interstitial. Here's a budget. Do literally anything, but our logo has to be in there somewhere. <laughs> and so he made this, uh, just, like, advertisement for his religion. Just like, <laughs> this very bizarre one-minute thing, and I think that also blew it up. Um, but yeah, very, very odd sort of thing. Never a thing that got, like, super huge, but just the names that you run into looking into this is Mm -hmm. bizarre. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay, but now I've got to ask, how is this connected to this weird little game? So, I know it's connected because... The people at Run and Gun, who are the developer, um, have worked with these people. Like, they had a project that I want to talk about later um, that Ivan Stein was in. I know they have connections to Jerry Casale from Devo uh, because of other projects they've done. So I have, honestly, no idea what kind of connection these people have, but I know they are connected. Are you telling me you've connected? I'm not crazy. <laughs> I've connected the dots. I've connected them. <laughs> uh, but yes, I should get to Run and Gun, uh, which is not the name they are credited under for this game. Uh, the game has a splash logo for Runny Fun with the tagline, It's good, dot dot dot, for kids. Um. <laughs> Because, apparently, they had been told 
not to put the name Run and Gun on this game. So they made a very sarcastic splash screen. <laughs> when was the game released? Uh, 2000. That's what, yeah. Probably having the word gun in anything aimed at children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to be fair, so I, do think, I also think that's a stupid thing, just like, because the word oh, yeah. gun is not the problem. But I, I'm not sure if that was the reason, because I, okay, so there's this article from the Chicago Tribune from like 95 or whatever that mentioned this uh, group, and they claim that run and gun is also punk slang for a scatological medical condition. Hilarious. I could not confirm this. <laughs> you mean Urban the, Dictionary the... didn't have an entry on it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, their their old website though, which you can find on the Wayback Machine, uh, has like holy crap images, which mm. I guess would fit. Mm. I mean, these are young guys. Mm-hmm. They're they're gonna do that kind of humor. Um, but yeah, let's get into the actual outfit here. So, Run and Gun Inc. was formed in 1993 uh, by three graduates of the Rhode Island School of Design. Tony Gold, Grady Sane, and Sandra Desmond. Um, so they uh, formed their little studio in Chicago. Uh, they started as a production company doing animation work for all kinds of broadcast jobs. Um, and I do want to read this uh, excerpt from the Chicago Tribune article as well, because it just paints an interesting visual of this place. So they say, Run and Gun is headquartered in a huge crumbling loft a block south of the bombed-out Lexington Hotel on a stretch of Michigan Avenue that doesn't get mentioned in the tourist guides. The neighborhood is scary, but the loft is a revelation. It's a combination computer animation studio, art gallery, and hippie commune. The place is wired to the ceiling with screens, monitors, and beeping and flashing boxes. About a dozen people are wandering about wearing Digitech telephone headsets and looking aggressively cool. The main room is an obstacle course of abandoned film props, cast-off furniture, and oddball artifacts. There's a full kitchen and several sleeping areas. All three principals have lived there at different times, and it's not unusual for people to crash for a night or a week when deadlines are looming. Hmm. So that sounds actually really cool. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say, that sounds like every uh, queer, like, commune vibe thing I have (laughs) seen chatted about a time. Like, this is big polycule slash queer commune energy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, also, a li- with a with a hint of frat boy, which mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. y- like twenty somethings living away from home, being creative, like for sure, that's a vibe. Yeah, I, I would assume like frat boy slash punk vibes. When I say frat boy, I just mean like a, a boy of a certain age. Yeah. Less oh no. Than yeah, for sure. Fraternity <laughs> brothers. Mm-hmm. I apologize. We don't have them here in the UK, all right? It's a strange (laughs) alien species to me. It's a little weird. Yeah. It is. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm allowed to say that. (laughs) I know. I was going to say, I'm glad to know that you weren't indoctrinated into a certain way of thinking during your own sorority Mm -hmm. time. I know Shark was also in a fraternity, so I, you know, I can't. Technically, <laughs> yes. Like- we did not have a house, but I was in a music fraternity in mm. college, which is the nerdiest way I could have gotten involved in that. Oh, I think my brother. Which one was it? 
Phi Mu Alpha? Yeah. I think my brother's yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no. Just but Yeah, sounds like a, a really cool, like grungy outfit that they made in the nineties. Uh they called their studio the like- Cave Barn because of a massive love. Yeah. yeah. It's like a thing that young creatives would thrive in. I could absolutely mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. Like, picture it very clearly in my head. Like, the noise aspect sounds like a living hell for me, <laughs> but the uh, the energy I can respect. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they got hired by a lot of places. Let me tell you, a couple of these hit me over the head like a fucking brick. <laughs> um, so, one of the people who ended up working on the game, uh, Dirk TD, who did art, actually did email me back. Um, oh, nice. answered a couple questions. Yeah, it was very cool of him. Um, and he mentioned that he came on uh, when they were doing work, I think in 1998 or something, uh, for a firm called Arthur Anderson, which didn't ring a bell for me until I Googled it. Um. And a name that sort of did ring a bell with me was when they got basically dissolved a couple years after the guys quit uh, for their part in the billion dollar Enron scandal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, apparently those guys did not leave Arthur Edison on good terms anyway, so (laughs) good for them. Um. Yeah, another non-game-related project they did. Jerry Casale of Devo hired them to do CG animation for the music video for the Foo Fighters. I'll stick around. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um. So yeah, I had not watched that music video before. Um, it's one of those grunge low-budget numbers. But yeah, there's that menacing ball, quote unquote, that is hovering over the band during that video. Um, looking in, looking up that music video, uh, apparently, that menacing ball is supposed to represent, A, Courtney Love. Um, this is all Jesus. Nirvana drama I don't really understand, because I'm not a <laughs> super huge music person. Uh, also, it's AIDS. Naturally. Of course. Yeah. Uh, like, Kasale got the image for the medicine ball from a medical book and says, yeah, that's what the AIDS virus looked like. So, okay. All right. <laughs> Again, hitting me over the head like a brick. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so let's talk about their actual game projects. So their first things were virtual reality headsets. They made a couple of these. I don't know if they made them, but they made, like, test projects for them uh-huh. uh, for a couple companies, Remake and Victor Max. Um, the big thing uh, that never got released, but that I want to talk about is a 3DO game called Doolin Firemen. <laughs> um, because this looked like a buck wild project to work on because it's an <laughs> FMV game. Uh, that was the sort of thing that the 3DO was kind of known for. I think mm-hmm. what's an FMV game. please? Yeah. Full motion video. Okay. So it's Thank the you. kind of game um, you get some of these for like light gun shooters and stuff. Um, trying to think of the Space Pirates was one of them. Um, but you had a couple of these where it's just like B movie style 
like acting and you'd have some interactivity along with it. Um, yeah. So yeah, this would have been a similar vibe to that. Uh, I have no fucking clue what the actual gameplay would have been like. It is very unclear. Um, but this is where you get the full on incomprehensible weirdo shit, uh, that is very clear that the subgenius, uh, <laughs> gang was involved in some way. This is the project that Ivan Stang was in. Um, you also had Mark Mothersbaugh appearing in the footage. Um, also, I don't think he was involved in the subgenius thing, but Rudy Ray Moore, aka Dolomite. Uh, I don't know if either of you are aware of who that is. Mm-mm. Nope. Um, yeah, so... Dolomite is one of like the great black exploitation films from the seventies, oh. um, and so I I really only know about this because uh, of because I haven't seen the original Dolomite, but there was a biopic in twenty nineteen that I do highly recommend if you still have Netflix. Um, it's called Dolomite is My Name. Uh, it stars Eddie Murphy. Uh, you know the Disaster Artist about the making of the room. Mm hmm. Okay, Dolomite is my name is like that, but with a charismatic protagonist. (laughs) (laughs) Eat shit, James Franco. (laughs) Uh, Not about James Franco, just like Tommy Wiseau seems like a shitty person. No, but also James Franco is a... Yeah, okay. But James Franco is awful. (laughs) That's fair. No, but like, I I thought that movie was actually pretty good. uh, So I'm glad to have the chance to recommend that. Um... But yeah, Rudy Ray Moore's just in that footage as well. Um, <laughs> and if I said there was another person uh, who was not an actor who h- heard about this from a friend of a friend and stopped by for five minutes to do some filming, uh, someone who might have been big in the 90s, uh, could you take a guess as to who that might be? Hulk Hogan. Oh, good guess. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> no, no, it was Tony Hawk. Okay, good. Oh, nice. <laughs> Similar vibes. <laughs> incredible uh but i do like just that yeah that that tracks that's the sort of thing he would do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it's unfortunate it never came out um because this is absolutely the sort of thing that you can imagine popping up on like avgn Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. uh there was a youtuber called rebel taxi who did a video um on Run and Guns projects, so thanks to him. Um, but, like, if this game had come out, Video Game YouTube would have a fucking field day with it. Because, <laughs> uh, as far as I can tell, the quote-unquote plot for this game is that it is a second great Chicago fire. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Air Force One and the Columbia Space Shuttle have both collided into the Hadcock Tower. Oh my god. <laughs> God. This was in, like, 95. Uh-huh. So they accidentally did a 9-11. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> um, and you are a fireman who is, as far as I could tell, not actively trying to rescue people. That's not the plot of the game. <clears throat> I-, I think you're trying to entertain them. <laughs> I'm very unclear as to what is happening in the small amount of footage that has survived. And props to um, Grady Sane and Tony Gold for actually preserving some of this footage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's very, 
very incomprehensible as to what was supposed to be happening here. Um, it's just wild that they got a bunch of people together for this, and we're just like, all right, we're going to film a bunch of stuff, and we're going to turn it into a video game somehow. <laughs> definitely one of those projects. Yeah, it's one, definitely one of those projects is like, I bet this was really fun to make. Mm-hmm. I really want to hear more about it. But, yeah. Unfortunately, there's not a ton about it that exists. Uh, there was an old website for it that you can find on the Wayback Machine. Um, like I said, some of the footage is still floating around. Uh, but yeah, as far as I can tell, um, the, the gameplay parts don't really exist. And then obviously it never came out. So I'm not sure if it just wasn't working. I don't know who might have cut ties or if someone just ran out of funding. But yeah, unfortunately that never happened. <laughs> um, the only other couple games that Run and Gun were able to make before Animorphs was one called Wild Ride Surf Shack. Um, which was a surfing game uh, with 3D visuals uh, that came out on Windows 95, I want to say. And apparently only works with very specific versions of Windows because there's like no footage of this on YouTube. <laughs> um, they were going to do another surfing game on the Game Boy Color, which seems like it would have been a port, kind of, or a, an adaptation of that Wild Ride game mm -hmm. called Wicked Surfing. That never happened. Uh, and then they did this. So I'm going to be very unkind to the Animorphs video game. And I hope you can tell that it's because I think this is probably the least interesting thing on these people's resume. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because after this Animorphs game, uh, they renamed their studio to Cave Barn. Uh, style it as Cave Plus Barn. Kind of named after what they were calling their studio. Um... They did a Tom and Jerry game on the Game Boy Advance, uh, and their, like, crowning achievement of what these guys wanted to do, I think, was a game called Urban Yeti on the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> um, which is, like, a top-down, like, original Grand Theft Auto-style game. Mm -hmm. um, criminally short for the Game Boy Advance, as far as I can tell. Um, but the story is just, you're a yeti running around the city trying to find a mate. Um, Naturally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's truly a so bad it's good experience. <laughs> um, it's utterly weird, as you would expect. Uh, AGDQ has a run of this from 2019, which I do recommend taking a look at, because it is ridiculous. Um, yeah, they did a BattleBots game. For the Game Boy Advance. Apparently that's based on a TV show I haven't heard of. Uh, and yeah, one more project that never came out that also looks like it would have been interesting called Black Rodeo. Um, I don't know a lot about this one, but it looks like it would have also had like live action stills throughout. And it looks like it would have been another weird ass game that's probably so bad it's good. But unfortunately that got cancelled as well. They... Um, how do you make a BattleBots game? So BattleBots. I don't know. <laughs> so BattleBots for the uninitiated is a show where these fucking nerds build robots that then fight like pit style and try to destroy each other. Look, Robot Wars, as it was called in the UK, 
it was a staple part of my family's viewing. You had the house. The idea it was it was a celebration of engineering. Yeah, like, imagine monster. No, trucks. it's fascinating. It's a bunch of nerds building their own little version, like the size of like between the size of like a, a an RC car. And like maybe a vacuum cleaner in mm-hmm. size, like they never got massively big, like taller than knee high. Yeah, um, think like stabby have, like, the, the house bots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you would have the house robots who were all like deeply uh, anthropomorphized. They had names, they had personalities. Mm-hmm. It was great. Like I still remember iconic robots. So if you got to like. If there was like a character creation screen, like on like some of the racing games, you get to build your own car, but you get to like build your own robot out of elements. Mm, I would play the mm-hmm, shit out mm-hmm, of this BattleBots mm-hmm. game if it was good, is what I'm saying. Okay, I think <laughs> I might have heard game. of the show under Robot Wars. Is uh, yeah. is, is Sir Killalot? Yeah. Is that yes? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and there was Matilda, my queen. Uh-huh. I loved her. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in the UK, it was presented by Craig Charles, aka uh, Dave Lister of Red Dwarf, and let me tell you, impeccable. <laughs> um, okay, it, it doesn't look like you would have created your own robot, unfortunately. Don't want it. Get it out of here. <laughs> that's, that's totally fair. Um, yeah. Okay. This is. I did. I did find a like a minute of footage from it though. I'm just going to drop this. <laughs> but yeah, those are the projects that I could find from Run and Gun, a.k.a. Caveborn, a.k.a. for this one game, Runny Fun. Hmm. Uh, yeah, just a lot of stuff to to just pop around and look look into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, by the time of the Animorphs game, uh, Sandra Desmond was no longer at Run and Gun. Uh, she was a co-founder, um, but she moved to San Francisco around that time. Looks like she's been involved in production work uh, since then. Uh, there's this film about a South African surfer called Chris Burdish. Um, I did not, for some reason, write the name of the project. I don't know why I didn't do that. Uh, I'm very smart. Hmm. Um. But yeah, on the, I, I was able to find her on the website under the name Sandra Stokes. Um, she is credited as a production advisor. Her bio is for some reason listed above everyone else's on the film's website. She's not on the IMDb page. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> um, but as far as I can tell, she's still doing stuff um, out in the world, so good for her. Um, the people who are credited on this game, there are six of them. Uh, most of them I was able to track down and see what they were doing these days. Um, Tony Gold still seems to be doing weird stuff with people. Um, he's like a freelance integrated creative producer, I think is his title uh, nowadays. So there are a lot of things up on his website. Uh, he still uses RunGun.com for his portfolio, so I guess he still owns the name. Um, he worked uh, on ad campaigns for like over a decade at Leo Burnett. Um Nintendo popped up again. Uh, he was apparently involved in some holiday ad for the Switch's lineup of games. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Tony Gold appears to be just out there making stuff. Uh, Grady Sane also appears to be making stuff. Um, he apparently specializes in video projection mapping. So he was with a company called Obscura Digital for a while. Uh, worked on a lot of uh, really impressive campaigns. Um I think Coca-Cola had, uh, I want to say 125th anniversary or something. 
Uh, but they lit up their whole, like, Atlanta headquarters, and he was involved in planning that. Um, some YouTube event, I think, at the Sydney Opera House, I want to say. Hmm. Um, but yeah, some some really cool stuff there. Um, he had this uh, non-profit uh, where he was just, like, teaching tech stuff to kids, um, which doesn't appear to be up anymore unfortunately looks like covid kind of killed that project mm. um yeah would have would have loved to talk about that uh positive fields uh in georgia was the thing um but yeah unfortunately that appears to be gone um christopher Locke apparently did some programming for the animorphs game uh doesn't seem to be too connected to run and guns history uh but yeah he works in the mobile space uh, now for gaming seems to be very much on the management side. Uh, I will not comment too much about that. Um, the one I couldn't find is Randy Wilson, who did the music for this game, mm-hmm. which is a shame because I wanted to know what was up with his music. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he did a lot of other projects with Run and Gun. He did um, music for their other projects. Uh, I think they released some uh like experimental prog track uh related to duel and firemen which was named uh epic epileptic apocalypse wow uh yeah very much noise experimental <laughs> stuff i didn't bother listening to it um but yeah i could not find this man um i found a randy wilson who was in the band's netherworld and gogoplex uh couldn't find out if he had any connection but seemed like the same vibes. Um, Moby Games, uh, which has some like video game credit repository stuff, uh, lists a Randy Wilson and seems to connect this guy with him. But they have a bunch of credits since like the 2010s in animation, so I don't think that's the same person. Mm. There's also Randy Wilson who had a vif- who had a failed video game venture um, in Broken Attitude Studios. But a game called Transient Shift, which never came out. It got stuck in development hell throughout the the aughts. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the same person. Because you would think their website would have listed his experience. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if this man's out there. (laughs) But it doesn't help that his name's pretty generic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Jeremy Evers did uh, the music system, apparently... Um, made an audio engine for the Game Boy Color for this and for their cancelled surfing game. Um, the engine is called Fatass. Of course it is. Uh, oh yeah, the reason I can't really uh, compliment the music too much, even though I like the music in the Animorphs game. It is weird and crunchy and I like the Game Boy sound. Um, the file names are in the code. Um and some of them are just juvenile. One of the tracks is called Shit Sack. Mm. Uh, and the other one has a homophobic slur in it. And that was a real fucking bummer. Mm. Um, I have no idea if that was Randy or Jeremy who was responsible for that. But god damn it. Mm-hmm. There's a real, like, not to, um, this is not me about to excuse the use of a slur. One, if you are a... Uh, Trog has told me what's the the F slur specifically. If you are a gay man, that is your right to use it if you wish. Um, 
maybe don't put it in a thing like mm-hmm. that for children. Uh, and the other thing is, like, the late 90s, early noughties, that word was considered fair game. Um, I remember a lot of films at that time, like, and now people look back and, like, critique it rightly, but uh, off the top of my head, I can think of uh, Bring It On uh, has a usage of it, and the uh, Bill and Ted movies, like the mm. first two. Hmm. And it's yeah, one I... of those things that... I appreciate changing sensibilities is very much a thing. Um, and if you're being like a smart ass young edgelord type vibe, it's like, I'm going to put words I shouldn't use in exactly. the coding for stuff. It's just, it feel, like I said, like you said, it's ju- juvenile. Mm-hmm. I, I have no doubt that this was just a young guy going, you know what? I'm on a deadline. No one's going to fucking see this. I'm just going to call it this. Cause I think it's funny. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Yeah, it just sucks, though. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, it's just something I'm very cognizant of as we, like, examine the books as well. Like, even just in 20 years, how much sensibilities have changed, how much our use of words have changed. Um, mm-hmm. From people whose ideologies are probably not dissimilar to my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just something I I try to be aware of and mindful of, not to excuse, but it's just language changes. But I'm not saying the use of uh, the F slur uh, <laughs> is about is well, why use it? Just yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I say this uh, as somebody who freely uses a lot of swears. Mm-hmm. Um, but when said word is a slur, I just don't, just don't. Mm-hmm. But I can fully see, especially with the the puritanical attitude that seems to be coming up with the uh, young, some of the younger generation, that uh, somebody in twenty years might be looking at something I did. And I cannot believe they used the word queer here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll pry, uh, future children and future academics, you will uh, pry the word queer from my cold, <laughs> dead fingers. Uh, mm-hmm. Not gay as in homosexual, but queer as in fuck you. Um, but it is, one, it's not the same thing, but just like discourse around language choices and why people use the words they do. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't a case of what was considered PC at the time. This is just mm. some guy. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, because I couldn't find Randy Wilson, I have no idea what the original intent was. Yeah. Um. Fortunately, the one person I was able to get a hold of, like I said, was Dirk Titi, um, who did some pixel art for this game um, and things he's been up to. Uh, so he created some graphic novels called Paradigm Shift, uh, which he had started as an online comic in 99. So he was already... Uh, like creating these characters and stuff. Nice. Uh, funnily enough, it is a werewolf detective story. <laughs> so by Incredible. sheer coincidence, this guy was writing about werewolves and ended up working on a game about kids starting to get animals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did a lot of pixel art of like animal heads for the transformation sequences. Nice, nice. Um, 
Yeah. And I just want to shout out last year, he did some like huge murals for a children's museum in Massachusetts. I just, I thought that was neat. Mm-hmm. Mm, they're pretty cool. Um, anyway, that's an episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Tune in for part two, uh, where I actually talk about this fucking game. <laughs>